project resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Please make sure to reference Medical Coding Geek when you place your order. Looking for a convenient, cost-effective solution for interventional radiology coding training? Check out Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology Coding Online Education. Created by interventional radiology coding expert Stacy Buck of RadRx. This comprehensive online training offers access to content for one year, Q&A support available during your one-year enrollment period, hundreds of coding scenarios, and actual operative reports. What are you waiting for? It's time to earn that specialty credential. Go to RadRx for additional testimonials and information, and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. Again, go to RadRx and use our promo code GEEK10 for special pricing. You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Also Classified podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. About 70% of our listeners listen to this podcast through their iPhone. So please pick up your device and leave our show a five-star rating and a review. Please check out Medical Coding Geek and the Not Also Classified podcast on social media, including Facebook and Instagram. You can check out our Facebook groups, including the Medical Coding Geeks, the RHIA and RHIT exam support group, the CDI Network, the NEC podcast Facebook group, and also we have a marketplace for medical coding, HIM, and CDI resources. And of course, you could find me, Brian Kui, last name is spelled C-U-I, on LinkedIn. So today in the podcast, I have Robin Sewell from HIM Analytics Solutions. In part one of our two-part series, we talk about how she got into inpatient coding how she transitioned into the dark side of denials and then transitioned back to the light side of inpatient and created her own company, HIM Analytics Solutions, and her tool, Cleopatra, Queen of Denial. Other topics that we discussed is the mindset of the coders and how we need to evolve into clinical coding. We talk about APRDRGs and how we try to hack the system, hack the algorithm. We talk about regulatory changes. And lastly, we talk about 56K dial-up modems and how we used to work with them. So without further ado, here is part one of my series with Robin Sewell. Enjoy. Okay, so welcome everybody to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. Today, I have Robin Sewell. Robin, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, so it's good to have you on. I think we connected. Yes, we could. You connected with me on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. You wanted some beta testers. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. for some reason, I think especially for the craziness of this year uh it kind of 
I, you know, people ask to be on the podcast and I say, I'm going to put you on the guest list, but I don't really put it on the guest list. <laughs> I just put it you. Mm-hmm. I just leave you in a LinkedIn uh, message. And then some and then I think you posted something about AKI and then I responded back and we got into a conversation. And then right. and then like, do you remember the, the email I or the, the message I sent to you about, you know, being on the podcast or or looking for beta testers? I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, OK. And so I actually had to scroll back up into the message. I'm like, ah, OK. So, yeah, um, yep. for those that are listening, if you ask to be on the podcast, please, uh, I forgot. <laughs> Just please <laughs> send me another hey. message. And, With uh, so many contacts on LinkedIn, it's easy to miss something. I know. What's what's really bad is when um, I have LinkedIn contacts, I have email contacts, I have Facebook contacts, I have Instagram contacts. So right. if if I'm trying to get a um, to get a guest list for the podcast, I have to write where the the invite came from or where the connection came from otherwise i will never find you like i'll i'll do an email search but i never do email mostly it's done on social media right <laughs> so if i don't find you there i'm like well where in the hack did i find this person so i have to try and streamline the communication process there anyways so it's good to have you on uh well, thank you for having me you're welcome we connected on LinkedIn. She showed me a software demo. Interesting name, Cleopatra Queen of Denial, uh, which is yep. great. And so we'll talk about that, the denial process. We'll talk about the appeal process. Um, and you have an interesting story, which we'll get into. But just to give you guys some context, she started out in the light side, the, the inpatient side. You went to the dark side, <laughs> as I always yep. call it. And then you went back to the light side. So uh, back to the inpatient side, which is great because I, I like uh, that transition because I think maybe you can get so give some insights on on what it felt like, you know, and some of the takeaways now where you're at currently uh, with your company or with your business, HIM Analytic Solutions. So let's right. start off with the first question. Let's jump in it. Uh, Robin, where did you come from and how did you get to where you're at today? Okay, well, see, I go much farther back than um, inpatient, uh, back in the 90s, the mid-90s. Um, I was, a, I guess, a young mother, you'd say, and I wanted to be able to work from home. And um, so I looked into this medical coding, and it wasn't quite as common back then in the 90s, you know, as it is now. And uh, I went to a what, like a technical school in um, Orlando area and I learned um, medical coding and my first job was in a billing office a billing company and met uh, for physicians so I worked there for about a year learning the ropes of what a, what a billing company does and then I um, actually was able to get a couple of clients of my own and start uh, working from home you know and it was it was pretty weird when I think about it now because of how much technology's advanced. But you know, it was the whole dial-up modem and stuff, <laughs> right. and yeah, it, it such a slow process. But you know, back then, it providers didn't have to quite fight for every penny like they do now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was really tough for them to 
um, as time went on with managed care, the rules and the contracting. And so it just got to be where um, I just, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I didn't like doing the physician billing. And I always felt so sorry for the, for the doctor that I would, you know, I would just go into their office and do all sorts of services and never charge for them. (laughs) So that, yeah, that was, that's a lesson that I kind of learned the hard way, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I really enjoyed it for a while, but, and then when I was just couldn't take it anymore, you know, dealing with the insurance companies and everything, I said, well, what am I going to do with myself? Um, so that's when I got into the inpatient coding mm-hmm. and because uh, I really wanted to learn the hospital side. Mm-hmm. And so um, I got my CCS because I had my CPC through AAPC. So I sat for my CCS and I got some experience um, doing inpatient coding. And um, that really wasn't my forte either. Really? I, um, yeah, because it was you know, almost like sweatshop coding or something, Mm -hmm. because you have a certain your productivity and, um, (laughs) you know, it's just looking at the numbers all the time. Mm -hmm. So then I decided to get into auditing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I kind of got to the dark side. But I mean, if I back up while I was doing the physician billing, I was also doing consulting for doctors too, like on the E&M, doing some compliance plans and things Mm -hmm. like that. But but then once I got into, you know, auditing and I went to the dark side for, you know, quite a few years mm-hmm. and um, I did enjoy that very much. Did I enjoyed you? the auditing. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, so I've been back on the light side for about a year okay. and um, yeah, working for um, on the hospital side now. So you, you're just doing this, the 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 light side is currently on your own right now so you're not with any hospital or that's, institution that's right so mm-hmm. the let me let me go back into your history here and that's your history anything else that was it that was nice short and sweet um well i mean you know uh, things will probably pop up in my head as i remember them as they come along i mean i've had some really interesting things that i've done i've scribed for the doctors, you know, like I said, I'd get myself involved. So I would, I, you know, when the whole EHRs had to be implemented, I did consulted with doctors to do that. And mm-hmm. you had these old docs that um, they just couldn't get into the computer. They yeah. couldn't get into the EHRs mm-hmm. and everything. So they said, well, will you scribe, scribe, you know, for me? So I tried that. And there was this one um, doctor that was a client, one of my billing clients, he was a vascular and general surgeon he did interventional procedures and he was like 70 at the time mm-hmm. and he ran my feet off i mean that man could see you know close to 50 patients a day wow and yeah and i just couldn't keep up with him mm-hmm. but it was at that point that i realized you know what a need there was for cdi and outpatient cdi because I'll never forget, you know, I was looking at his, uh, he would go in, you know, he'd run in a room, visit a patient, and then do the dictation and stuff. And I'll never forget, I was looking at one of his um, notes, his uh, progress (laughs) notes. Mm -hmm. And it said, and I, you can't make this up. I swear, it's one line that says, I'm going to do her in the operating room. (laughs) 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 Oh, Oh, so. 
you know, I'm like, here we go. The insurance probably is company's going to benefit from this one too, probably. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I've done all sorts of things. I, you know, the, the billing I've done, um, you know, the, the coding, I've done the auditing and uh, scribing and compliance. So, so I've had a lot of, um, been fortunate to have a lot of different experience that I've really enjoyed through the years. Now you've, um, you have a pattern here. So like you usually work for somebody, but then you always uh, end up being an independent, uh, a consultant in the, in the mix. So is that always been your thing to always want to do things on your own? Um, yeah, I, what I really liked when I was, um, working, you know, for the man, if you will, mm-hmm. for employers is the structure. Um, because you know what you have to do every day, you know, you sit down and you click off your work or whatever. But when you're on your own, you're having to do um, it. And not that I don't, I love to do a lot of different things. But what I mean is that you are your, your own salesperson, you're your own marketing person, um, you do your own invoicing, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, you know, so that wasn't as, um, I guess the type of structure that I benefited from in, in the past, but, um, you know, here I am doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, cool. So the consulting part has has always been, and I, I, another thing that I wanted to, to point out is that I think the, the flexibility, uh, of the things that you've done, I think, especially for those that are students coding HIM, you just know you just noticed that there was a lot of flexibility in the stuff that you've done with your consulting. You started off with billing, uh, you've done inpatient, but that was for an institution, correct? But then, even so, you you mentioned uh, you know the the medical was it the describing the, the, the medical scribing? Right, right. So um, when I was doing the billing, I had my own billing company. Those clients were those were. Um, had me doing some extra things for them. So scribing was one of those occasions. Right. And then you say yeah. scribing and then you talked about uh, E&M compliance. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess were, were you doing, I guess it wasn't really labeled it back then, but were you were con- really considering, I guess you were actually doing some CDI in that work as well, improving their documentation through compliance. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's because, you know, with the advent of the EHRs, everything had to be, um, you know, obviously it had to be able to be, um, you know, you had to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. But those types of EHRs weren't very conducive to good documentation. Right. Thus, the reason why I was doing the scribing. Um, so, you know, they were just trying to avoid the penalties. They really weren't going to stay in practice that much longer, I think. So it's just like, let's get the CHR implemented um, and do what we have to do. But the documentation suffers in those yeah. instances yeah. very yeah. much. Uh, and I've, I've talked about this in, in previous podcast episodes, uh, you know, where the EHR is usually not the solution. Uh, mm-hmm. we're talking about, I mean, even in our reviews now, I mean, <laughs> you see copy and paste, right. um, especially in the physical exam 
where it's repetitive, you know, and they're trying to, and then the coder codes a certain diagnosis, but then you look at the physical examination upon those audits and you're like, wait a second, it's not, it's never been there in the first place. Exactly. And then you're coding it. And the worst thing about it is that, you know, the coders have that, you know, what you see, if it's documented, you got to code it. And unfortunately they're stuck, they're pigeonholed in that rule. Um, mm -hmm. and that's why it's good to have at least, you know, that type of mindset, a CDI mindset that you have to, you know, look beyond what was documented and look at stuff that is, you know, the physical examination, really the holistic, you know, the holistic approach of the diagnosis uh, mm -hmm. and the documentation. I think that's one piece that that um, at least for the new coders, that's what's missing. And as you progress it's through you know, with mm -hmm. experience and practice, <laughs> yeah. because I'm still practicing myself. You know, right. there's just so many nuances in in just, you know, what you have to audit. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, mm -hmm. and it's very vast. And you're always continuously, you know, finding something new. And, you, you know, if you don't know, then you have to figure your way through. You know, it's, it's a crazy right. practice, but it's a great practice in, in general. Right. And you can't, you really can't be complacent um the especially well you can't be afford to be complacent as a coder anyway but like you were saying the that if the the mindset of coders i think um or you know what i learned through the years is that if it's documented you can code it but um that's just not working anymore because we know the payer audits are coming back and and taken back some of those codes so really that's a piece of advice that i give you know i do a lot of mentoring for mm -hmm. um him students and stuff that's what i tell them is that you really have got to understand what clinical coding is mm -hmm. um, because you know you, it's really not that difficult to read something and then find find the diagnosis and give it a code but to really understand the the clinical nature behind it and um and to really i sort of just always made it a practice um to when i'm looking at a chart is really visualize i can see that patient laying in the mm -hmm. bed you know and i can um you know when i read what the physician documented i want to feel the intensity of that patient's illness That's you know right. and it helps me as a coder and an auditor and you know it's, it's helped me to be more successful in my role i think yeah when you say severity the one the one the my aha moment um in severity was when i got exposed to aprdrgs you know when they mm -hmm. rolled out the the severity of illness and risk of mortality you know i worked mm -hmm. with drgs when they changed from dr when when it used to be just the ccs on its own then it went mm -hmm. to msdrgs with the ccs and the mccs and then I, i'd like to say 2009 2010 at least for me because i you know we're in florida they rolled it out over in florida uh mm -hmm. you know first And we got exposed like immediately, like <laughs> it was not even that much training uh, with APR DRGs. And then you're mm -hmm. talking about severity of illness, risk of mortality. And, you know, 3M is the one that developed the, the DRG system. So right. um, I think one of the biggest, I guess, objectives that, you know, especially when you had the, the MSDRG, you're able to know what's a CC what's an MCC, and you can figure out what's going to change that DRG, uh, raise it or lower it. 
but with mm-hmm. the with the APR, you, I I I tried as best as I can to hack it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Oh, me and you too, Brian. You oh, know? that is. I definitely want to come up with a a way to like you said to to hack it, if you will, because it the algorithms that they put mm-hmm. in place to make um make it weighted, you know, whether it's a one through a four, is just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I remember. Um, you know, things like uh, vitamin deficiency, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe patient had a blood test and they're a little deficient on something and they, you know, they take a vitamin D supplement. Well, that diagnosis can drive the SOI and it's, uh, um, you know, it's just little things like that. I, you know, I really want, wish I could get my mind into that and say, what, how did they make those algorithms to, to do that? Yeah. Let's take a moment for a quick break. Do you need a specialized recruitment partner to send you only qualified candidates? Do you need interim staff while you conduct a search for a permanent employee? Or are you losing hires to competitors? Renowned Talent recruits experienced HIM, RCM, and CDI professionals using their trusted candidate screening and retention process for health systems and employers around the U.S. Whether you have one or multiple openings that you need to fill ASAP, please visit Renowned Talent com and tell them you heard this ad through the NEC podcast. Again, visit renowntalent, R-E-N-O-W-N, talent.com and tell them you heard this ad through the NEC podcast. The Haugen Consulting Group offers healthcare consulting, education, and auditing services utilizing a team of industry experts specializing in leadership, project management, and assessments for HIM and patient access. Their auditors and educators are experts in facility and professional fee coding and offer education for ICD-10-CM, PCS, CPT, HIM, patient access, and revenue cycle. The Haugen Consulting Group is thrilled to be a partner with MedicalCodingGeek.com and the Not Also Classified podcast. Go to thehaugengroup.com slash shop and use promo code geek15 at checkout to receive a discount on webinars and desk aids. Again, go to thehaugengroup, H-A-U-G-E-N group.com slash shop and use our promo code geek, G-E-E-K-1-5 at checkout. And now back to our show. And I, I, I try to make a cheat sheet, but then every case was different. And then every I, case is different. Yep. And yes. then there's a different factor. There's, I, I get the, I think it's because there's different variables. So you just can't base it upon uh, principal and secondary diagnosis. You also have mm-hmm. to look at what the principal diagnosis is and what the secondary diagnoses are. And mm-hmm. if they fall in the same body system. So like, mm-hmm. you know, when you have, for example, like, you know, I'm just going to shoot it out there like pneumonia and or no COPD and respiratory failure or pneumonia that, you know, the respiratories, like if they're all stuck together, like for some reason, you know, if you take away one or if you add one, it does, it changes or it may not change it. Uh, there's not a mm-hmm. big difference in it. Um, age is a big factor too. Uh, the mm-hmm. procedures that they added in there, of course, the disposition, um, everything it's yeah. just you can't you can't figure it out because there's always no. a big algorithm and the west the best way i can describe at least um 
APR is like Jenga. Like you know how to, you can build it up. It's easy to build it up because all you got to do is just code everything, code everything that you can. And then you have this one big Jenga piece. But then in order to take it apart, you know, to see what really affects it after the fact that you built it up, you know, sometimes it could take, and I just had the discussion today on Facebook with one of my members, Duard Venegas. Duard, if you're listening, <laughs> we just had this we just had this question earlier. So we just talked about it. I said it's like Jenga. You know, you, you could build it up, but then uh, sometimes it just takes one piece just to knock it down. But then sometimes you need a sledgehammer to knock it down. Like you know, this, yeah. for example, if it has like same, you know, like the ones that I don't like is the APRs uh, with second like a bunch of secondary diagnoses that have an soi of two and there's like mm-hmm. like seven of them <laughs> in order <Yeah>. for you <laughs> in order, yeah. and then like which one like sometimes it just takes one but mm-hmm. then sometimes if you remove them all or if you take them all they still it's still the same thing it's still the I same know. soi and it's very it's baffling to me it is it's a br- but if you think about it it's a brilliant brilliant minds went into creating mm-hmm. that thing yeah when you think i guess you know when you look at behavior and it's going to go to my question here about uh fighting for every penny you mentioned that you know when they when they created the system i mean i think they they had that in mind is you know you know the the value based per, you know the value based purchasing the quality aspect all of that and you know you mentioned in the past that you know before and i, I usually do this in presentations where you know, the, the, before the, the, the regulations were very relaxed, you know, physicians could just bill and, and then they get mm-hmm. paid. And that was back in like the eighties. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and then up yeah. and then I've had people, you know, in the, in the past podcasts who were compliance folks, you know, from rehab to, to inpatient to outpatient. Um, and, and I think through those discussions, I get a timeline and every time, let's say for example, you know, like a new DRG system, you know, back in the 80s, they developed that. And I always say like within 10 to 15 years, maybe even less now, they they find something that, you know, is out of whack and then they make a corrective change and then right. they make a they do a change again. So every time they make a new addition because of a previous change, you could see now that the physicians are now fighting for the pennies even more and so it requires so much more a lot of regulations have been tightened yeah it's kind of a sad state of affairs for the provider side you know because the cost of health care the reimbursements really not enough their overhead is high and you know and you just kind of feel bad for them because they went to college for whatever 12 however many years mm-hmm. they have so many sleepless nights um you know and then a lot of times they get patients that come in and tell them well you know google told me this you know and that don't really really have a appreciation for for the for them for the doctor yeah. so i've you know and i i don't know if you ever listened to what is it dr z dog yes mm-hmm. yeah he talks a lot about uh, m- moral injury yeah. and i think about that a lot because i just feel like this isn't what they you know this isn't what they went into this for you know, and now with coronavirus, you see these frontline workers that are affected and they don't really have a choice because of the oath that they took and and, and they're getting sick and dying too, you yeah. know? So, um, yeah, so I think that was kind of always something that affected me um, working with um, the, this 
the providers, the individual physicians. It's just seeing that on a personal level, the things that they struggled with. And it just, you know, kind of pulled at my heartstrings, if you will. Yeah. 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 You know, they, they don't get that type of training for coding, for billing, you know, the reimbursement, the revenue cycle management process in school, in, in the in the medical school, they're just, you know, taught yeah. to treat, to number one, uh, assess, diagnose, and treat conditions. And that's about right. it. They're not uh, given any business classes, reimbursement classes, you know, the stuff that coders get. Uh, mm-hmm. And they don't have time for it. <laughs> you know, you mentioned uh, a 56 patient caseload. I, I remember when physicians... Uh, complain like I have forty, and so when you tell me forty six, oh. I'm like fifty six. I mean, yeah, it, wow. it's crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. So you see, even now, like I, I predicted it, even with the with the COVID, you know, where they were giving, um, I guess, extra payment or extra reimbursement for the twenty five percent increase in the COVID, and I'm like, oh boy, you know, here I, I already saw it coming, you know, and yeah. uh, where. Uh, you know, especially with the guidelines, you know, if COVID is the principal diagnosis, that secondary diagnosis that comes after it is definitely going to be some form of MCC. And you have to double check if the patient really had it, if there's any queries, etc. Anyway, so with COVID, with COVID, there's a lot of, I knew it, when they made those, the, the, the adjustments in, in uh, I guess, for reimbursement, I knew later on down the line, anytime there is some form of adjustment, as I mentioned earlier, there's going right. to be some form of corrective action. There's always right. going to be some form of, hey, let's look look at what they've done um, in terms of documentation. And the thing is, I think it's not fair because, uh, you know, COVID came out really fast and there was not much education. It's like, you know, you it's here. <laughs> it's like yeah, the, exactly. it's, it's the same thing like me when I, when I got, you know, when APR just finally jumped on the scene, they say, "Well, APR is coming in next next week. You you get you're gonna get some cases." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, you know." Right. And uh, I only knew the SOI, the ROM. There's four of them. I didn't know any of the variables, etc. And so the right. same thing with COVID. It's it's like it just jumped on them. And so mm-hmm. one of my biggest concerns was, okay, what does the documentation look like? You know, what should it look like? What are some of the complications? Uh, I, I was just thinking about there has to be somewhere a form of a denial that's going to happen as a result of the documentation. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, they do, you're right. They do that whenever they allow um, allow something in the regulations, then they want to make sure there's no abuse of it. Mm-hmm. So then they go and audit it and right. what, you know, so it's kind of a can be a catch 22, but. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, hey, job security, right? Right. And it's the same thing with uh telemedicine. You know, they they lack the the requirements on how telemedicine visits are being done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, exactly. and, and so That's... the same thing. Like there that has to be looked at. Did they do it right? Did they, you know, cross their T's, dot their I's? Did it meet the criteria? Did it meet the standard uh of care that it meets criteria for a telemedicine visit? Mm-hmm. So those things I'm sure that because the thing is that, uh, you know, in, in my group, Medical Coding Geeks, we had a big upswing in, in membership uh, starting in April because there were a ton of questions coming in because of COVID. Uh, right. How should they deal with screenings? 
telemedicine was a, was a bunch of them, but telemedicine in different types of specialties. So we got yeah. questions on a variety for nurse practitioners, uh, for consults, for this and that. And I'm like, goodness gracious. And we had a big, really big, huge, 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 I think uh, over a thousand members within like a few weeks uh, oh. just jumped on in trying to seek information. So, you know, the same wow. thing, you know, education. I think that, you know, the components that it came in fast, the education just was like, okay, you know, and the, the guidelines always changed, you know, from, from one it's, week to the next. Yeah. <laughs> it used to yeah, be, that's a, for sure. it used to be the, I think it was a U code, UB code or something like that. And then it changed mm. to the, the Corona code. And the guidelines change. It didn't have to be the principal diagnosis. Now it has to be the principal diagnosis. There's a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, goodness, how, how are these people keeping up? And I'm sure uh, when you look at it, it's discharge dates effective, this and that. And it also affects when you look at from the recovery, the denial side. Um, mm-hmm. That also changes, too. So, I mean, right. it, it's been a crazy time. It's been a crazy time. Yeah, it is. It's on so many so many fronts, it has been very crazy. All right, so um, you went from working inpatient. It wasn't your forte. As oh, you know, what? let me go back. Let me go okay. back for a second here. What I, I wanted to talk about. I always, you know, the the last guest that I had. Oh, not the last guest. One of the previous guests that I had. Um, when she got her job, she used a fax. Right. You mm-hmm. mentioned another dated technology. Uh, dial-up <laughs> oh yeah so dial-up so what was dial-up for you like you know working working you know f- with billing with dial-up how, how was that like well and looking at it now <laughs> yeah i i mean i it was it was miserable at times you know and then so in addition to to that though what the way that I had my billing service set up is that they had a dedicated um, computer at the physician's office that I remoted into. Mm-hmm. So um, a, one of my doctor's husbands would go in there and get on that computer all the time. So I'm sitting there fighting with the, oh, yeah. with the, <laughs> with the um, mouse mm-hmm. trying, you know, competing with him and competing with the mode. Oh, the because dial. you're using the, using the same uh, computer at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> he, it was supposed to be dedicated for me, but he, he just went in there and used it, you know, uh-huh. and, and uh, you know, what could, what could I do about that? But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it seems so long ago. I'm trying to remember. I just, you know, and when I would submit the claims electronically, mm-hmm. That's when, you know, you would just hear all that. Yeah, it would just go on forever and ever, you know. And But I also, you know, I we did some paper statements, of course, mm-hmm. or pa- pa- paper claims and pa- paper statements. And I, <laughs> I was such a cruel mom. I used to pay my kids five cents an envelope for <laughs> stuffing them. <laughs> why not hey, why not yeah cheap labor <laughs> but uh yeah so i mean and then as things got more advanced you know you have little folders and stuffers and the postage um, machines and and then the cable of course and the internet and it, it did get faster and you know it did get better but yeah, yeah. i remember those days I, I think when i um 
you know, I, I understood and I, I, I was just, I had, I was on a vacation, well, mini staycation. And um, the reason why you mentioned dial-up, it kind of brought up some memories is I was cleaning my garage uh, during my time off, <laughs> that's what I do when I'm because my, my wife has a whole bunch of stuff in the garage, and I'm like, let me just clean it up. Let me see what we can get rid of. Anyways, I picked up. Do I even have it? I picked up a tin. You know those tin. It's a tin thing, and it had AOL on it, and it says uh, 9.0 oh. optimized. You have a think. I think un, you know how many days? 90 days unlimited. <laughs> Uh, or something like that and that brought back a lot of memories and and for those that are listening i don't know i'm dating myself but back in the 90s you know we had that's when at least for me in 98 that's when i graduated um high school um 56k internet you know uh, came about the dial-up etc but it wasn't until i got into college that we were still using it we're not using any broadband or whatever we were still using i think broadband was used in colleges uh, but not 56k. But anyways, um, when I got into my internship in HIM, one of my biggest internship, um, I guess, uh, projects was to, uh, I guess, help develop the remote program for HIM employees. And one of my uh, tasks was to go to IT and talk about, well, how are they going to do this? How are they going to go home and remote in? I think that was the word. How are they going to yeah. remote in to the computers? <laughs> and, and, the, and you mentioned the technology where, uh, and for those that are listening, it's called remote desktop, right? So basically you're, yeah. lo- you're, you're at home, okay, or you're at another site. You log in 56K internet, you use the telephone line, and essentially, you're logging into another computer. It's not a server. It's an actual desktop computer. And that desktop has to be on and connected mm-hmm. at the same time in order oh. for you to get on, remember? And so, and you mentioned the, where if, if, if I think you got, you mentioned that if the, uh, the person uses the computer, basically you see the mouse move. So in your instance, you were probably doing some work and all of a sudden you lose control of your mouse. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, who's on? And, and you see the, yeah, they'll open up, up there, like, you yeah. know, as if work is being done on the other side and that happens. And so that is something that we had to deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyways, I, I, I got in contact with the, um, uh, with the IT person and they showed me uh, the remote desktop technology and I'm like my goodness and it at the time it was pretty fast it was pretty it was pretty good this was before even the the, the discussion of VPNs <laughs> virtual exactly. private networks yes. can you believe that yeah. and uh and I'm like geez this is so this is weird. to me it was pretty cool back then I'm like wow they can go home and they could log into another laptop whatever it may be they didn't have servers remember they had no servers you just have no. you have a separate laptop and they're all separate uh, along the way and uh, the computer has to be on and that is crazy it's come a long way when you're looking at broadband and now they're yeah. using servers remote servers cloud technology it's not no yeah. it's, it's not even servers is now cloud technology that you're hearing now and uh, they don't necessarily, you know, when you have a server crash, I mean, basically, they just use cloud technology to move one part to another part and, and restart the system. So it's, it's come a long way. I'm serious. So there you have it. That is part one of my two-part series with Robin Sewell. You could find Robin on LinkedIn. 
And you can check out her company, HIM Analytics Solutions, LLC, by going to her website, himcoders.com. I listened to a lot of podcasts, and one product that I was curious to try out was Magic Spoon Cereal. Magic Spoon is the high-protein, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, wheat-free, naturally-flavored, totally delicious, childlike cereal for grown-ups. Now you're probably thinking that it tastes like cardboard. I did my research on similar cereals and decided to give this brand a try. I subscribed to the variety pack that includes frosted, fruity, blueberry, and chocolate. And really, to my surprise, they really tasted great considering that it was supposed to be a healthy cereal. So far, my favorite is the fruity flavor. They also have nutty and cinnamon flavors too. I've already tried the variety pack for a couple months now and swapped out my subscription to try out their cinnamon flavor. Magic Spoon has zero sugar, three grams net carbs, and 11 grams of protein per serving. They have a 100% happiness guarantee. If you are not completely in love with their cereal, they'll give you a full refund. So go to magicspoon.com and use our coupon code GEEK at checkout. Again, go to magicspoon.com and use our coupon code GEEK, G-E-E-K, at checkout.